Me? No, we'd never. Well, he knows. Yeah, okay. Uh, hi, this is Kevin Evans. I'm with the Chapter by Chapter Life class at Crossroads Assembly of God Church in Greenville, and we are studying the Gospels, specifically Luke, and we got uh, up to our chin in Luke chapter 22 last week. And according to what Kenny just told me, that wasn't posted online, so I will look into that and see if we can uh, fill in some of it. But I want to go back and uh, discuss a, a little bit of what we talked about the other day before we get into today's lesson. <coughs> uh, so a little bit of recap. Um, in Luke, uh, there's three big divisions to it, uh, as I've said, I think, a hundred times at this point. Um, the, the first section is introducing Christ and John the Baptist and all of the disciples and it sets up the ministry and it's the beginning of Christ's ministry and why he's the Messiah and all of that stuff and, and, and then it kind of stops as far as chronological events goes and then Luke has this big collection of teachings of Christ uh, with a bunch of miracles mixed into it which are not necessarily in a chronological order and they don't particularly match the other gospels in their chronological order but uh, that's not anything to freak out about because uh, that, that was kind of normal in this level of literature and it was never meant to be a strict chronological historical retelling of what was happening. He was trying to get to the important things that Christ said and the things that need to be recorded. And so he puts those all where they sort of fit the best in his story. It's impossible to get a, a perfect historical reference of history, otherwise it would be one-to-one -one and it would take forever to read the book. Get it? Get it? Anyway, um, so we get through that at the end of chapter 21, and we have the tri actually in 21, we have the triumphant entry into Jerusalem, and it begins what is often called Passion Week, and it's the week before Christ's crucifixion and everything that leads up to that. So Christ has been preaching in the temple uh, for the last week or so. Chapter 22 begins the last two or three days of Christ's life, depending on how you look at it and which gospel you compare it to. And um, he is, he is, uh, he has been teaching in the temple. He leaves and uh, he, they, they start talking about the well, he leaves and he goes to the, the Last Supper. which uh, So it, it's just before the Feast of the Tabernacles. He sends one of his disciples to uh, go make arrangements for it. And there was probably some kind of miraculous event in that preparation. He sends him to find somebody he doesn't know who's carrying a jar, which is unusual for a man to be carrying a jar. And, uh, and, and he makes the arrangement. So uh, he goes to the Last Supper. which is the recap, and I'm trying to make sure that I haven't left something out. After we have the Last Supper and we talk about all of the symbolism of Christ being the sacrifice, and they take part with eating the bread in the first communion ever, according to Luke, they immediately break up in an argument of who's the greatest of them. And you just want to slap their heads. What made them do that? Just talk about something out of the blue. It doesn't happen in the other gospels, and it makes me wonder if 
the chronological order thing isn't in there again, but it, it just seems an odd transition that they would argue. Now, they argued in many other places in the gospel about this. This is an ongoing thing. We were just talking about demographics and people, the way men talked. Well, and, and I know that it, I, I have been in only one or two situations where I was just surrounded by men in a work environment. As soon as all the women are gone, particularly in some demographics, the language gets blue. And everybody's got to show off with how tough they are and prove that they're bigger, badder, and smarter than everyone else. There is all of this bizarre Posturing, there's the word I was looking for. Mine was cruder. Uh, <laughs> you know, and, and I think that's kind of what's happening with the disciples here. They are all, they have all been expecting and have been taught that the Messiah is going to come and overthrow everybody that Jerusalem doesn't like, not just the Romans, but all the Gentiles. And, and Jerusalem is going to reign over the world forever. And uh, they want to be part of the administration when that sets up. They want to be part of the rebel elite who will go down in history forever as the greatest Jews of all time. And, uh, you know, and, and, and they'd really like it if the Messiah would you know, make them governor of Syria and they could finish out their, their life you know, nice and comfortable that way. Uh, that's kind of what they're all thinking. It's jealousy. Well, yeah, and they're all posturing because, you know, politically, they've got to be the, 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 the biggest guy, the toughest guy, the greatest one is going to get the greatest chunk, right? I've seen, I've seen jealousy break a church completely apart. That's pride. Yeah, of course it's pride. It's a lot of pride. And, and any, any, any corporation suffers from this at some level or another. There's internal politics. Faith is shaking her head. She knows what I'm talking about. Uh, you know what I'm talking about, too. You work in a school district. School districts are notorious for this because the only way you can... Ne ne never mind. Um, that's what's happening. And so they suddenly start arguing about who's the greatest. And Christ comes back with... He slaps them all the head and said, I'm the greatest. No, he didn't. No, and he's he's. This is third-hand information. That's true. Yeah, I mean, and as a doctor or with medical background, he would look at things differently and be much more in detail in documenting stuff than would show up in the other doctors. Okay. Well, that was it. I think you're right because he was more educated. You're talking about the rest of them that wrote this. They're a bunch of fishermen. Fishermen. Or, mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, so that and they're tax collectors. So, yeah. all of them. Yeah. So, <laughs> so Christ tells them the least will be first. Mm -hmm. uh, which is contrary to every bit of political logic that man has had from the beginning of time. The least know? will be first. But how do they know who's the least? Well, that's easy. They have a, there's kind of a caste system. There's a caste system in every society, but there are here too. And uh, servants are less than the masters. 
And if you own the house, you sit at the head of the table and everybody else sits under you. And then servants don't sit at the table at all. And the servants are washing your feet and drawing your bath. They're not even at the table. They eat somewhere else. It's like being at the kid's table at Thanksgiving. Much like that, yes. <laughs> the American equivalent. Or another culture where the women aren't even included. Exactly. And so... Uh, the least shall be first. So he's saying that the people, so, so what he does. So what they're setting up is that women will be first then. And he demonstrates. No, that's not what this says. So. Get thee behind me. Well, they were the least. Christ washes their feet. That's the point. Christ washes their feet. And so he's, he's, he's stooping to the lowest level to demonstrate that this is what you need to do. And it freaks them out. Peter does it in a, the other gospel. Peter goes, you know, no, no, you're not washing mine. Okay, we wash everything. He doesn't know what to do with it, you know, because it's just a weird, it's a weird logic, and he's not getting it. And, and Christ's message, the, the, the part that I got out of this, was not that if you serve God will raise you, which is, I think, a lot of people think about this, is if you serve, you're in God's will. So there is no promise of you getting into a better position from being in a position of service. I think if you're concerned about it, that's the problem. Maybe so. I mean, my thing is, when I listen to people, if you brag about your humility, or you have to tell people you're humble, you're not humble. Yeah, yeah fair enough. I've been in a position often, and I am a hard, bitter man, that, well, uh, I put in an enormous amount of work and effort to make something happen, and I work a project that is my project, and I get some success, and my boss comes in and says, look what we did. And the we means I. And my name never comes up. I used to have a lady. I don't get invited to the school board meeting where they congratulate everyone. My boss does. And he barely understands what happened. You know what I'm talking about. Oh, no. I used to, we, we had a lady. They made a position for her. And she was over me. And she had no clue what technology was. But then she would come and ask me to help her figure out how to do all this stuff. Then she'd go back and say, look what I did. Uh-huh. And then they would, they would buy it. They, they, they knew she didn't know. And that is, <laughs> it's almost standard operation in a school system. I, you, you, you leech off the people beneath you. And I was always the guy on the bottom. It's like. And, it, I, and I, have to, I have to tell you, I, it, 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 it bugged me. It's like. A, a lot. <laughs> well, it's, like, it's like, I'll tell you this, for 22 years now, they, at the beginning, of, they, have, they have this gathering at the beginning of the school. I forget what they call it, but it's got a name. But they have everybody there, and then the superintendent gets up there, and he brags. And every year they have that, he gets up and he brags about the administrators and the principals and the maintenance people mm -hmm. and the custodians, about everything they did to get the school ready for the year. But nothing's ever said They, ne that. they never mentioned Bill. They yeah. never, never yeah. mentioned technology department. No, they no. never say a word. Because that's magic and it doesn't take any effort yeah. at all. I mean, yeah. for 22 years, I've listened to him bragging about everything. <laughs> double whammy as a preacher and a therapist. There's been times I've, as a preacher, I've preached a certain message to my congregation. As a therapist, I've talked to my clients. 
three that was up here. That's over three. And then the people coming. Pastor, I saw Brother Sons on television told me this thing that changed my life. Changed your I've life. I've been preaching to you for three years. <laughs> and you give Brother Sons on television the credit. Uh-huh. And my client goes, Clayton, I, I watched Dr. Phil and he said this. And I said, I'm going to tell you. Phil fixed it. Oh. You know, so. But the longer it takes for them to get it, the richer you get, right? And the interest. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the bottom line and they is, keep coming for therapy. Interesting point. What they, what they didn't have sense enough to realize is the final total is they're going to be judging the 12 tribes of Israel up in heaven. They're going to have thrones. I mean, yeah. I don't think we should plan on that, though. I don't, I don't want to humble myself with the evil plan of God making you king after it's over. If I can get just low enough, I'll be on the top. You because know? that's you being concerned about. You're concerned about yes. missing the point. Yeah. I'm not sure how to stop being concerned. Well, we got flesh to live with. Yeah, yeah fair enough. You have to not feed it. Ah, the dog analogy again? Okay. Well, no. What I'm saying is it's very easy. Turn into my therapy session. Uh, I don't know. This is not. This is not my therapy session. No. Okay. Uh, where were we? Jesus was washing your feet. You ever, you ever been to a foot washing? Once. I had to wash Ray's feet. with washing your feet, but wait, Ray's feet are weird. I, I don't want to touch Ray's feet. It's not humility. His, his toes are creepy. Anyway, okay. Um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Ray, if you hear this. I don't think he will. Okay, so uh, no, 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 no. Oh, here's this is interesting. I thought after I got digging in it. So, so moving ahead a little bit, he's. Um, I'm sorry, I lost my place again. All right, he tells them to prepare because he's not going to be around to keep them prepared, and. Uh, they need to sell, they need to buy swords. And they said, oh, here's two. And that will do. Because they happen to have those. Oh, oh, here we, here we have a couple of swords right here. I was, I was hiding that in my belt since you brought it up. We can probably guess who had the sword. Yeah, I can. Uh, he can, he, well, it was Peter and the, the little assassin. Which one was he? Simon. Simon, I think, yeah. Anyway. Uh, the second Simon. <clears throat> I'm having a hard time getting all my words out today. So, two swords. Christ says that's enough. Now, what does that sound like? You just need two swords? That's how I took it when I read it in English. If you go back and look at the, the original word, he's not talking about the sword. He's saying, be quiet. He's saying, we don't need to talk about this anymore. My study Bible says here in the, in the original language, 
Right. He cuts him off. Cuts him off and says, whatever. Yeah. And so he's not saying you only need two swords to go control the world. You know, you know, he's not saying you need more. He's saying just be prepared. You know, you're, you're, you're working this too hard. Just, just like moving on. It's not about violence. It's about, but be prepared is what he's saying. And, and I thought that was interesting. He's not, he's not condoning. Well, he tells them to go get weapons. So I guess he's condoning weapons. But he's, he's not encouraging their use, I guess. There's, there's a limit to how far that goes. Yeah, because of what he said when he cut the, the guy's ear off. You know? Oh, which, which we're getting to. Okay. So having said that, we get to um, basically where we stopped. We're finally to it. 47. Yeah, 40, 47. Okay. Well, my, my Bible makes the break at 47. Uh, he's been praying in the, the Garden of Gethsemane, and Judas comes in to... Uh, to, 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 to arrest him. So while he was still speaking, a crowd came up, and this is verse 47, and a man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them, he leading Judas to kiss him. And Ju Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? First of all, I think it's interesting, he says, and the man called Judas. Because this is Luke, and he hasn't met him. If he talks, if he if refers to Peter, he just calls him Peter. He doesn't call the man named Peter. He's referring to somebody that, that we don't all know, and he's referencing him. Does that make sense? So because Peter is long gone before, I mean, Judas is long gone before Luke writes this. So I just think that's an interesting turn of phrase. And then we have Judas leading soldiers, and it was a large crowd into the garden to identify Christ? Why on earth do they need anybody to identify Christ? He's been leading a revival in the temple for a week. Don't they know what the guy that they're after looks like? They've been debating him for months. Well, he's got to be sun to earn his very future. Why are they paying him? I don't know. If the whole point of that is to find the time. They already know the time too. They know his schedule. People are white. He goes to the same place after he services at night every evening. He, he teaches the, the, the loyal and he prays every evening. And there's not a whole lot of people around. This is when to do it. We don't need Judas. I, I'm, I'm confused by that. But maybe Judas also gave them the work, gave them a false testimony that gave them the authority to arrest. That's what they paid him for, which probably is a false testimony. It doesn't say false testimony. I was looking for that, Bill. That was my thought, too. It doesn't say that, but I think that's that's logical. I think so, too. Also, I think maybe we're overselling this from our 20th century perspective. Uh, I think finding a guy in the dark that you've been looking at from a distance may be a little harder than you think. Uh, finding people in a crowd out of context is harder than you think. Not streetlights. Huh? There's, There's street not streetlights. Street and nobody's got any glasses. Even in the day. I mean, okay, I went to that book sale, right? You went to a wonderful and I went to a wonderful book sale yesterday. I thought about Clayton the whole time and just gloated because I had it and he didn't. Um, Anyway, I, I'm shopping, and I recognize this woman across the, 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 the room who's also a customer, 
that I have not seen in a year and a half who was a counselor at, uh, at, at school and I worked with on many, many occasions, Kenny. And I couldn't remember her name for my life. I recognized her face and I knew she's a junker. And so I'd run into her places like this before. And so I knew exactly who it was, but I couldn't remember her name. And I know Miss Gossett isn't listening. I, I, after I left, I remembered her name as we were leaving. And she makes eye contact with me like this, Lester, and then she looks away. Because she recognized me. She couldn't remember my name either. <laughs> so we just avoided each other. We just kind of stayed on the opposite side. She, she was avoiding me as much as I was avoiding her, and we just never had a conversation because <laughs> neither of us could remember. Is that what it is? Okay, now take that. Or, or, or you see that face in a crowd and you know you know that guy or in a restaurant, which means where I always see people I think I know. And uh, I probably do know them, but I can't place them because they're, they're, just, they're out of where they usually are. And if they were where they usually are, I'd know them immediately, but I can't, I can't put it together. Now take it that and, and, and turn off the lights. There's no street lights, it's dark. And so we need somebody to find the right bearded guy in a robe. You know, I mean, That's everybody kind of looks alike in the dark. You know, so you need somebody that knows him well. Yeah. And so he's the watch. He's he's the bloodhound that has to go in and find the guy in a crowd. I think, right. I think there's a lot of people in the you know. And, and you know, if you had a big revival, how many times do people hang around after the service? My father used to say, you know it's a good service when people hang around 45 minutes after it's over. You know, uh, and as the guy that locks up on Wednesday night, I can tell you that last week was a really good service. Legal terms, he was a witness to that end. Yeah, you testified at him, and he said yes. Oh, there's a legal angle too? I didn't even consider a legal angle. Uh, so Jesus, uh, Judas comes in and, and kisses him to let him know. And Christ kind of calls him out in the hypocrisy of that. That doesn't really go anywhere. Then the followers saw what was going to happen. They said, Lord, what should we strike with our swords? They start to get it because there's all these, these, these people here. And there's those two swords that are there. Probably more by now because he mentioned it before. And one of them struck the servant of the high priest cutting off his ear. And that's identified as Peter in the other gospels. Oh, wait. Luke tells us something new about it. It's his right ear. Okay. Peter has a sword in his hand. I don't know if he was right or left-handed, but statistically, he would be right, most likely. So he walks up to the soldier in order to strike him. He doesn't hit the left ear. He's going to hit the head, he's going to hit his shoulder, he's going to hit the neck. The left ear is over here on this side. How does he hit the left ear? From behind. Yes. From behind? It's from behind. If Peter is right-handed, the most logical strike he could have made would have been from, the, from behind him. He came up and, and, and hit the guy in the head with the sword and, uh, and chopped off his ear. Now. He's trying, I, I assume if you're going to take a sword to a man, you're trying to kill him. My father told me, never point a gun at anything you don't intend to kill. So, you know. <laughs> and, 
he, he was rather hard on that, too, by the way. Uh, you know, uh, I think the same goes for swords. And uh, Peter has a sword. He's got a drop on the guy. He comes up behind, and he maims his ear. Cut his right ear off. What a horrible swordsman Peter is. Right. Uh, uh, I had a quote from uh, one of my. Uh, you ever heard of McLaren? Yeah. Okay. McLaren has a quote: "When the church takes sword in hand, it usually shows that it doesn't know how to weld it, and <laughs> is often not as and often struck the wrong man." It, you know. So. That's yeah. yeah that, that sounds right. Uh, so I think that was that was interesting. So after saying, "Prepare yourself and have swords," uh, Christ says, "You know, calm down." Calm down, Peter. And then he fix, he heals the ear. And, and the, the soldier is not a believer, and he's not asking to be healed, but Christ fixes the problem, you know. So uh, let, let's not go this way. Let's throw another wrench in this in Matthew. Okay. Account of this. That's where Christ said that those who live by the sword don't die by the sword. After he told them to arm themselves. I think the arming myself was not literally. I think there's more of an Explain. Think of, uh, Prepar being... Preparation for defense for yourself. I don't think Christ is calling them to go arm yourselves. I think they took it as that. But I'm just saying, hey, let's, because once again, in, in the first chapter of Acts, he talks about, they ask him again, is this the time we bring up our swords and start a revolution? He says, you don't understand, my, my kingdom is not of this world. If we go forward to Ephesians, it says my weapons are of warfare, not carnal. You know, it talks about it's your, your sword of the spirit. It's not your physical. Percy did my study. Well, sell their cloak and buy a sword. But, he, but in other times, he talks very allegorical. Could that not be allegorical? He's talk, but the person in my study note said he's talking about preparing yourself for the defense like Paul did with Caesar. Sure, it's possible, but possibility is so. Possible. So it's important to defend ourselves. Well, to be, be prepared to defend yourself in all situations, as Paul defended himself. That's what I'm just saying. What this writer said, because it is contradictory. Otherwise, how do how do we defend, how do we explain the contradictory of this? Because Jesus in Matthew does say, "Those who live by the sword will die by the sword." So it is biblical. You're saying for me to have a twelve gauge in my house to protect my home. No. I'm just saying with That's the scripture, defense and there's offense. So. There, there we go. So, so yes, you can have a gun. Is it biblical house. to have a claymore sword in your house to protect your home? Sure. Sure. Yeah, okay. Just check. Is, is that what Christ is saying? But, I mean, that, might, that, that might be a legitimate thing to say to defend, but not off. Was Peter okay. doing defense or offense there? Okay. So you think the guard was a believer after this? No, I don't think the guard had. Well, I, it doesn't say. I'm not going to go either way. Just a point. I'm so sorry. I'm confusing myself. Okay, I've got 10 minutes. I want to make this one point, and then we'll probably uh, end at about 54. Um, back when he was praying in the Mount of Olives, because I know we've already covered this a little bit, um, he says, take this cup from me. And I dug into that a little bit, and I was a little surprised at what I found. Uh, the cup is a symbol of 
judgment. And the, there's several references. And you got your Bible in that phone? Yes. Uh, pull up Psalm 75, 8. Got your Bible, Bill? Mm -hmm. You pull up Isaiah 51 17. 75 8. 75 8. Psalm 75, uh, verse 8. It says, For there is a cup in the Lord's hand full, full of wine blended with spices, and he pours from it all the wicked of the earth will drink, drain it to its uh, dregs or what? To its dregs, to, dregs. The, to okay. the last drop. Right. And so he's pouring out his cup on the wicked, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, what does Isaiah 51, 17 say? And, and by the way, Andrew, look up Jeremiah 25, 15 while he's at it. All right. You said 51, 17. Isaiah 51, 17. Okay, it says here that, uh, Awake, awake, stand, o stand up, O Jerusalem, which has drunk at the hand of the Lord the cup of his fury, uh, has drunk in the dregs of the cup of trembling and wrung them out. So again, it's about wrath and it's about judgment. Okay, so what does Jeremiah 25, 15 say? All right, 25. Pastor, Pastor. 18, okay. 25, 15. Okay, 15, okay. <laughs> this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me. This Take this cup of the wine of wrath from my hand and make all the nations which admire Satan drink from. Okay, so it's the same symbol. So Christ says... Let this cup of wrath pass from me. And he is about to be the sacrificial lamb and take on all of the sins of the world, and which is a big deal. And so he's, he's anguished in his human self in, 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 in having the bravery, I guess, to do this. And so Christ, the, the Lord doesn't let the, the cup pass from him. But he, an angel appears in Luke to strengthen him. And so God gives him the strength to take this cup. But it's a different cup. This is a cup of suffering. Not a cup of wrath. This is a cup of suffering. But don't we suffer because of God's wrath? Yes, but this is, this, I think this is different. My, my I'm not sure I agree. I want you to explain yourself first. <laughs> okay, well... <laughs> You know you can't say it unless you defend it. I got you. <laughs> Basically, the same, the same strength of a cup of suffering, okay? Okay. We can go and look at, look at Psalm 7310. Can you look at that real quick? And then 80, 80, Psalms 80 and 5. Psalms 80 and 5? So it's, it's, that basically it's a cup of suffering. There is a difference in his cup of wrath. Christ is fixing to suffer being beaten and everything else. 
That's not a that's not wrath. He's fixing to be suffer, He's fixing to drink a cup of suffering, brutality. I don't. Aren't these the same two well, sides of the same coin? No, because when I read Isaiah, it's talking about a cup of wrath. And this is say, talking about a cup of but suffering. But he's going to endure the wrath that would be on us. Right. Yeah. So suffering is what happens when wrath. Well, I'm, just, I'm just saying, mine has notes on the side that calls it two different. Why okay. have you forsaken me? Is the ultimate wrath of God against sinful man? Yeah. Is the forsaking of God because of sin, and He's taking it upon Himself, which is suffering and wrath. So here's the thought: Christ is asking for God's to spare him the cup, mm -hmm. right after He's shared the cup with his disciples. So the communion, we're sharing in Christ's cup. But the cup is God's wrath. And it seems that when we take communion, we are symbolically taking in Christ's sacrifice unto ourselves. We are becoming one with Christ. And if we're not doing that, then we're taking the cup of God's wrath. Because isn't it the same thing? Or am I going too far here? It, it, I may be reading the metaphor too hard. Because uh, I, you know, I, I, I don't think we can pretend and take communion. I, I, <sighs> Are you saying we don't put enough... Thought yeah. and meaning into the taking of communion. Yes, that's what I I'm agree. Uh, and this may be my, uh, I may be suffering from my Baptist roots again, but uh, I, I, I think you, we need to take, take communion with real, genuine uh, uh, fear and, and respect. And I don't think you should take communion if you have not made a profession of faith in God. This is a, a communion of brethren that are becoming one with Christ. I don't think communion should be given to children. Also, also uh, not right. I think it should be more regular, yeah. regularly done. Yeah, and, and I, really, I, I agree with I that think, too. I think the reason we do it once a month is because we started off anti-Catholic. <laughs> well, no, seriously, we did because we... I just thought we didn't some want to Some of our Protestant religions. roots, the reason why so many of us only do it once a month is because we didn't want to be Catholic-like because Catholics take it every at every Mass. And there were of our fathers and our denomination and other denominations thought that was too Catholic-like, so we did it once a month instead. And so... We bring it back. We do. We have enjoyed doing it. Oh, yeah, and that, that's... There, there, I think there's... Well, should we not that. be dying to self That's what you would see right there. Fair. Yeah. And, come, and whenever you come together, you should do this in my name. Uh, well, I think I there's some legitimacy to that point. So we did it Easter and maybe around Christmas. <laughs> yeah. that, that was it. I mean, twice a year. I mean, when you think about the glory of communion, really I mean, let, let's think about this, and the seriousness of it as well, but the glory of communion as yeah. well. This is something Christ did for us. I did not have to go to the cross, literally. He did it for me. It's also it's a serious thing that we go through in the, in the magnitude of what he did, but it's also a joyful thing because Christ took my punishment and put it upon himself. That yeah. I, and I'm, we're doing it in remembrance of uh, him. Yeah, yes, and it's, it is a daily remembrance. Mm -hmm. It should be a daily thing that we should do, at least in our heart, if not actually <coughs> taking of the grape juice and the, and the little yeah. cracker. The, you know, it says if you do it unworthy that you... Can't mention it again. 
It, that is my point. That, that, that is, is my point. It's the cup of wrath. You see what I'm saying? Okay, okay. I so so that you, are you saying there should be more parameters around our communion taking? <sighs> Can I turn off the microphone before yeah. I start ranting? You, you may. Okay. Uh, you know, we're pretty much, okay, as far as all of you, thousands of people that are listening to me, we are uh, more or less done with today, and we will be picking it up at verse 54 next week, turning off the mic now.